Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Who's ready to make podcasts great again? <laughs> good plan, good plan. Who thought of this one? You're listening to the Out of Sanctum podcast. Here is a moment in time in the history of the AFL. In from the side, Houghton. She was surrounded by blue jumpers. Bounced on its point, wow. The fates, the gods are with the gods. Welcome to the Outer Sanctum for another week. I am Emma Race and I am joined by my football-loving lady friends. It is with great pleasure that we welcome back to the microphone Dr Cathy Sia. <laughs> How are you, Kath? I was uh, all right until you started calling me Kath. She does it every time you're not here. I know she does. It's like putting your shoes on the wrong feet. That's what it feels like. How are you, Felicity Race? I'm good. My shoes are on the right feet. My actual human feet. Your actual massive Mm. human boat feet. Mm -hmm. World's biggest feet. Hobbit. Yep. And also in the studio today... She's suffering from a little bit of vertigo, which is why I've been calling her Lucille Two all week. How are you, Lucille Two? I'm so good. Thanks for giving me that bug. That's for any that's for any Arrested Development fans playing along at home. Nick and Alicia are not in the Stu Stu studio today because they're training with the Vicks. Of course. They are not. They're not really. <laughs> It's writer's week and they're writers, so they're busy. Um, But it is with great pleasure that we have Kate Sear back to do Omen Watch. But before we do, given that Richmond have finished in the top four, I thought we might just get in the mood of things. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world. What do you got for Omen Watch? Oh, look, there's so much. Um, yeah, the doomsday clock is five minutes to midnight, I think, and North Korea <laughs> has launched that missile over Japan. So it's all happening. It's all all signs point to a Richmond Premiership, I think. But there are so many, um, The bit, there are some bittersweet stories. There are some wonderful stories as we come into to the finals. I wanted to start off with um, an email that we received from a listener of ours called Anne. So thank you very much, Anne, for sending this in. I'm sure it would have been really um, tough to put this together, but she's a Demons fan and she said that this has been circulating among Demon fans. So she said, and I'm going to just read it to you all. She said, as we all know, last weekend was a particularly heartbreaking one for Melbourne supporters and we have had many. And there were some spooky, <laughs> she's literally written that out in a funny way, numbers revealed on the ladder at round's end. So West Coast in eighth place has 1,964 points for and 1,858 points against. Of course, 1858 was the year that the Melbourne Football Club literally got the ball rolling on Australian rules football. And 1964 was the year of Melbourne's most recent premiership. 
Um, and, of course, the beginning of the Norm Smith curse after his sacking. So that's mm. just an uncanny coincidence. She said, however, Melbourne, who finished in ninth place, has 2,035 points for and 1,934 points against. In 1934, Melbourne showed noticeable improvement on previous <laughs> years in what was the start of Checker Hughes' reign and Melbourne's golden age. So she says maybe by 2035, the Ds will have had a similar period of domination. One can only hope. Um, sorry, and it's from, she calls herself Andy. So thank you very much for sending that in. That's an absolutely uncanny Set of circumstances, I think. That is unbelievable. I feel like Melbourne supporters were borrowing the unneeded microwaves by, from the Richmond supporters <laughs> and chucking their memberships in and there. look, I feel like they should have known because our good friend Giggs pointed out that in round 23, 2017, and in 2016, West Coast and Adelaide finished on... West Coast 100 points, Adelaide 71 points. So the writing was on the wall, yes, people. Yes, We should have, we should have we done should the math. Have <laughs> but we also got another little omen from Giggs, which points towards a Tiger Premiership that said the last time Richmond beat St Kilda by 41 points in a home and away game, they went on to break a Premiership drought. So... Well, that's Things not, are looking good. That's not the only reason why the Tigers are going to win the flag. I, I saw a tweet from somebody who calls themselves Tiger Joe F. They pointed out that Geelong, a few years ago, as we remember, lost Gary Ablett, but then won the flag the next year. Hawthorne lost Buddy and won the flag the next year. The Tigers lost Ty Vickery. <laughs> Will they win? I think yes. So, look. Oh, Shut the so game. Many it's all done. It's all, it's all done. done. Done and dusted. I have one quick commentary watch before we move on to talk about the round that was. Um, and it's not even really commentary, but I did enjoy. There was a package put together by the Hawthorne Footy Club um, and it was narrated by Alistair Clarkson or as Lucy's son Hamish thought his name was Alice. De Clarkson. <laughs> so Alice had put together this um, and what Alice said was like, and I'm quoting, I th- I'm pretty sure, I'm, maybe I'm paraphrasing, um, like Luke Hodge, Sam Mitchell is a once-in-a-generation player. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed it at the time and I've enjoyed it on repeat wonderful throughout the week. Wonderful from Alice. Yeah, really wonderful from Alice there. But the final round was amazing. We've got mm. a lot to unpack about that. Friday night kicked off. We said goodbye to a whole lot of champions. I actually thought the um, doggies might have come to play a little bit harder than mm. they did, but um, th- it was an interesting game. It was kick- It was like a tennis match, Ga- a goal, 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 each end. It was, it was close the whole time. But um, it was really sad. I found it really emotional saying goodbye to Bob. I don't remember being at a game where at the end nobody left. Like everyone just sat there waiting to see now what's going to happen. It was, it was Maybe really the 2010 grand final. <laughs> really made for a crowded <laughs> train though. It <laughs> did. But yeah. wasn't there a lot of emotion in the under the roof mm. in that lovely Dockland Stadium? There was so much love in that stadium. I felt like... It was kind of a thing of beauty. Even though it was sad and neither team was going to play finals, there was a real applauding of players when Boyd and Bob both kicked their goals, when Hodge had that great punch in defence or when he was kicking in. Everyone was cheering. Everyone was being respectful of each other. And And that Gibbo was kind of um, involved in it as well. At halftime they got Josh Gibson to come out and do a little lap of honour. That was really lovely. It was nice that he was able to walk that, wasn't it? Yeah. You know my theory on 
Recently retired <laughs> players don't need a lift like an Anzac. <laughs> but it was, it was nice to see his legs still in good shape. I'm going to be completely outrageous here and say I felt positively post-coital after that game. Oh, God. Is that disgusting? T-M-I. It felt like so much love. It didn't feel like there was any animosity. It felt like I felt like we were matched up with just the right person on the right night. <laughs> I felt like there's a little bit of love in the air. Wow. Did you feel like that? Well, I had a weird experience because I was I was away and not able to go to the game, so I was just watching the scores unfold on my phone, and um, and I was overseas, so it was in the middle of the day, and I, and I was at a work conference, so I was kind of like you know smiling and nodding and pretending to take interest in whatever was unfolding, but really um, fixated on my phone, and it made me think about those moments when you you can't actually be in front of the TV screen and you're you're trying to follow the footy scores. Um, I remember a few years ago when Hawthorne broke the curse and my sister was living in London at the time and had to follow the scores on her phone in an all-staff meeting and as soon as the siren sounded she burst into tears and her boss was kind of like what what do you you know that and I just went up to item four on the agenda or something and it was like is there something is it something I said about our Ford estimates or what about that Adelaide West Coast game were you just on the edge of your seat and I couldn't even imagine the Melbourne players imagine being a Melbourne supporter or player but it was so funny because it wasn't just barracking for a win or a loss it was it had to be a certain number of points yes and so it was turning us all into like mental arithmetic kind of gurus trying to work out how many points that West Coast could give up or it was just crazy yeah, and also not knowing if people were actually saying farewell, if that really was the mm. farewell game yeah. when they were playing. Oh, going, to goal, okay. oh maybe oh. they won't be chaired off. Will they be chaired off? I'm not sure. Mm. One thing that did uh, really <laughs> was very curious is that the West Coast Eagles were saying goodbye to Matt Prudis, who's been an absolute champion of the game and amazing for them, amazing clubman, um, and Sam Mitchell, probably less so for West Coast, but you know, still a champion of the game, and that their jumper was emblazoned with the motif of Subiaco <laughs> Oval. And the banner was Farewell Subi as well. I was like, wow, they're really giving a lot of love to that stadium. Subi really appreciate they, it. They have the Opera House on the Sydney jumper. I mean, it's not but that's all unprecedented. Year <laughs> I could wear a jumper with the MCG on it. Like, could you knit, if you could knit me one? Well, it is I the people's ground. It is the people's ground. Talking about Sydney, how is the Buddy Franklin show? Yes, oh, that was just awesome. Huge congrats to Buddy, who's won uh, the Coleman Medal mm. again. Uh, amazing. I mean, actually, on on Buddy, I th- I saw that the AFL released a little infographic um, in the last couple of days. Uh, acknowledging Buddy as the Coleman medalist, but also recording a bunch of stats for us reflecting back over the season as a whole. And it was quite interesting because one of the things that um, they told us was that there were more than 6.7 million people who attended games this year um, and that that's the overall record attendance number. Um, But the other thing was, and we've talked a little bit about this on the pod this year because this is obviously the the final season of the game as the apocalypse comes comes around, but there were 28 games won by less than a goal and that's a new record. So, uh, you know, the closest season on record. One thing that's been lost in this final round discussion and reflecting on the year is the achievement of Brisbane, which I want to um, acknowledge we talked a few weeks ago about gematria, the Jewish system um, uh, of, of uh, sort of numeration and the importance and significance and prestige associated with the number 18. So Brisbane finished 18th. That's lucky and 
prestigious and honourable in Jewish culture. So and also in the draft. It's pretty lucky. Yep, that's true. <laughs> so um, kudos to Brisbane. That'll keep them warm at night, Indeed. I'm sure. Yeah. And kudos to Geelong, who just seems to be purring along like a, like cat? a nice, happy cat. <laughs> yeah. Um, they really, I, I don't, didn't think that GWS really turned up to play. They didn't seem, I don't know, did you watch that game? No, I was on a plane. Oh, you were on a plane. I still feel I've... like anything can happen in this finals yeah. series, but I feel like um, um, the Swans have just done something that yeah. no one expected yeah. them to do from the start of it. The, they've just got so much finals experience. They're extraordinary and they're playing so beautifully. According to Josh Kay, in 2016, after round six, there was no change to the top eight. There have been, in 2017, there's been 16 changes to the top eight. In the same period of time. Such a volatile season. It really is. I mean, I feel like North could still win it. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like Essendon's probably up against it in in an elimination in Sydney against Sydney. Although if last year repeats, Essendon Mm. wins. But also, what a fantastic story for Essendon. Yes. How brilliant that they're playing finals. If I was an Essendon supporter, I'd be feeling so... Warm and fuzzy about that. Exactly. And so, yeah. you know, vindicated yeah. for hanging in there. And mm. we get to see Joe play one more time. That's fantastic. Yeah, I love good him. stories all around. Yeah. Um, so other retirements that have been notable this week, Felicity? Well, it's what I wanted to do, if you'll indulge me, this is not no, a alleged no, sometimes won't. spoken <laughs> word, but I was looking at the entire list of people who've announced their retirements. And I thought this year to me is quite significant in that some years you really look at the surnames to understand who the players are. If I just read you the first names, oh, oh yes, please. just go with me here. As I read the first names, you will work out who all these people are. This is, I, I think, says something about the calibre of the 30-odd who are retiring. Are you saying that they're so famous that they're like Kylie or Madonna? Madonna. Pretty much. <laughs> She's Madonna retiring. Okay, so oh, sad. She, she should be. <laughs> so we'll start with Dennis, Committee. Scott, oh. <laughs> Jess. Job, James, Easton, Brent, Shane, Zach, Garrick, Tom, Andrew, Stevie, Luke, Josh, Heretia, Ivan, Chris, Nick, Lee, another Sam, Matt, Drew, and Bob. Like, okay. There might be a few like tricky ones in there. Yeah, <laughs> Andrew always trips me up. Andrew <laughs> Mackey. <laughs> Right. Still, and also, right. I was I hearing some it's... of the second name as the surname. Look, I was, I wasn't on that. that. Like, I actually think that a whole lot of them this year are people that there's only one of, or there's yeah. Like yeah. when you say Job, you know who you're talking about. When you say oh, yeah. Bob, etc. Yes, but um, I just think it's actually telling of the the actual quality the of caliber. the group who are mm. leaving and the caliber of the first names. It, <laughs> This was actually my second point, is having three sons, when I was trying to name them, I did have a friend at work who used to bring me the footy record from the local games. There's some fascinating ones out there. So um, a big hats off to um, Garrick, who's leaving the game now. Um, we haven't seen many more Garricks no, after no. him. And, um, yeah. More Garricks You'll than be John's Garrick. playing probably at the moment, though, I would say. Alas, poor Garrick. Poor Garrick. I knew him well. I knew him well. Um, one thing, though, is... We've seen some cheering off, and it's been—I feel it's become too homogenised. 
Like I'm not critical of who does the cheering off. I was happy to see a double re-roll. I love a, I love the family. I love the oh. family aspect of that. I thought it was absolutely beautiful, especially for everything that that family's gone through. So I'm not at all critical of that. But I quite like a messy chair off. I felt like the <laughs> you chair. You want off, someone to fall? It, no, no, no. I don't want them to fall. I just felt like it was very neat, staged. homogenized stage. It would be good if they were actually going somewhere. Kind like of. they actually put them down the race, but they kind of just jump off and go back into the. You know, yeah, into the ground a little bit. I just feel like I mean, I f- it's neat. I feel like they asked beforehand. It's like asking someone to be your bridesmaids. Mm. Like they've already said, I've taken you know these people out to lunch and asked oh. if they'll be the two people that will chair me <laughs> off. Probably sent them a save the date. Probably yes. yeah. something yes. like that. Yeah. Do you think yeah. they do a chair rehearsal? I oh, hope so. They like probably do. Rehearsal. There's probably like an Oak Health and Safety induction that you have to do first. Is That's that probably why you can't do it down the race. Oh, uh, maybe. Yeah, true. true. Oak Health and yeah, Safety. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Mm. You do have to sort it out in advance, though, because you can't have Sam Mitchell chairing off, I don't know. Anyone. <laughs> <laughs> Not anymore. Do you know what I mean? His days of cheering off are done. Oh. No, I know what you mean. Like you can't have a ruckman on the shoulders. This is what of I'm a, saying. You know, that is true. Of a of teeny smidge. tiny dog yeah. But you did refer to... Some there was a bit of criticism, mm. and Luke Darcy was critical of um, Jack cheering off his cousin Nick, which I thought it kind of reminded me a bit of. And I know we don't like to talk about Mr. Newman on this podcast mm. as well, but there's a few commentators who seem to really not understand the heart and emotion and the joy of football that continually critique things about, oh, well, that's not the way it's done and, Mm. you know, no, it shouldn't be like that, Mm. as if there's some kind of rule book about, Mm. you know, this is how we did it in the 70s and it really dates them. It does. (laughs) It really does. I felt very annoyed by that man as well when he was critical of Bob going into that last game, talking about some open wound stuff like Mm. about about the grand final and saying that he didn't deserve to be in the photos. He caught him an attention seeker, didn't he? Yeah, and I just thought... It's just a yawn fest. It's a complete yawn fest. Let's move on before I stab myself in the eye with a pen. (laughs) If I could gif somehow, I'd do a yawn gif right now. Mm. It's just so... Um, Nathan Buckley and Brad Scott have both been re-signed. They haven't been resigned. They haven't resigned. They've been <laughs> That's re-signed. always the concern, isn't it, when you get that little, oh. um, like, you know, the little alert pop-up on yeah. your phone or something and it says such and such is re-signed. It's yes. never really clear what's going on. Um, but Buckley, I mean, I think for some people both of those um, signings are a surprise and others think it's, um, you know, it's all to be expected. Uh, Buckley, I think, was very gracious in his press conference. Mm. I, I thought actually listening to him that it sounded like he was nervous and unsure of what was going to happen and relieved that he had gotten another term. That's how I interpreted it, but I don't know. Jake Nile wrote a really interesting article about which, and he was quite critical of Buckley being reappointed, but there was a bit in there where he talks about how there used to be, oh, there was a quote written up on the wall when Buckley was playing that said, those who have invested most are the last to surrender. And he kind of drew the parallel that Eddie has invested the most in Bucks and so is probably going to be the last to surrender on that. Mm. And I I thought that was quite interesting. Lucky he didn't read that other sign that says, last one to leave, turn off the lights. God bless you. Um, please wash your coffee cup. <laughs> your mother doesn't work here. In Comic Sans font. Um, 
one thing that I don't think Bucks is going to enjoy is um, Fair Game, which is a documentary about um, Hereti Elamamba. And I watched it. It's on. Um, I watched online, and I better I think it goes free to air on TV this weekend. I found it absolutely compelling, and it's his journey. It's kind of follows his journey to kind of rediscover the true version of himself without the pressure of the life that he lives here and football and and what this kind of society looks like to him. And um, he talks a lot about vilification in this country and how even from a really, really young age that he has felt vilified at every turn and he even... Um, makes this point that as a really young boy and he has siblings who are white um, that he felt uncomfortable holding his little sister's hand in public for fear of what people would think or say and so you think about where he's come from and he does a really great job of expressing it but where it crosses with footy culture it actually does um, it really pulls and tugs and that's what and, and that's probably um, the issues that we've seen play out in the media. But it's a fascinating documentary. You watched it as well, Lucy. I did, and I think what you're talking about there is how that gulf seems so wide between those who experience racism as a lived experience every day and those who are blissfully unaware of it. And so any discussion about it just seems to miss the mark. Um, there seems to be a defensiveness that pops up as the first response when people try to talk about racism. Yeah, it's interesting. I heard you guys talk about Colin Kaepernick on the podcast last week and so listening to this discussion unfold about Lumumba this week, for me I just had a lot of parallels in my mind mm. about experiences of Lumumba and Kaepernick and also in years gone by Adam Goods and... I think um, in order to help us unpack some of this discussion, uh, I reached out to a former colleague of mine, Dr Stella Corum, this week. Her and another colleague, uh, Dr um, Chris Hallinan, have just written a paper which is about reflecting on Adam Goods, actually, and race and racism in sport. And I think some of the lessons from their research are relevant to all of those men and all of their experiences. So uh, here's a quick chat with Stella. So Stella, can you tell me a little bit about about this article? Where where did it come from and what were you hoping to achieve in writing it? I am a New Zealand born Maori. Um, I'm married to an Australian and um am and am now an Australian citizen myself. I had no inkling of racism in Australian sport um until I uh, was invited to attend the football with my then partner and he being a St Kilda supporter insisted that I accompany him to this strange game (laughs) and I thought what is this Um, look I fell in love with the game and so now essentially I am uh, a St Kilda tragic unfortunately what led me to my interest was it was a particular game when uh, Jim Cracker had been recruited to St Kilda, and I think that would have been around about 1990. And um, I was dismayed and appalled to hear these rather awful comments directed at him, specifically um, uh, denigrating his his uh, racial heritage. Uh, I kind of looked around, and no one seemed to be bothered by it except me. Mm-hmm. And I felt then that that was an important moment to understand as a, as a fledgling sociologist or student of sociology in third in my third year, and and knowing that I was expected to develop a research project, I knew then that this is what I wanted to talk about. And um, it's been a rocky road, but I've stuck by it. After fairly strident comments from a senior 
AIDS journalist, I kind of was about to sort of chuck it in. And I happened to be in Papua New Guinea when it came to light that Adam Goods was um, being subjected to some torrid abuse. I was shocked and dismayed. Now, I actually met Adam Goods, I think it was in 1999. Again, my timeline might be a little bit shaky. And I, where I was presenting a paper on the, um, the importance of sport to the stolen generations for uh, reclaiming their identity. And a new recruit was asked to respond to my um, paper. There was this young man who showed great poise and dignity, even then stood up and told for the first time, as I understand it, the story of his mother, a member of the Stolen Generations, in, um, in, a, in a very public forum. And the, I was brought to tears. I was moved and brought to tears by that because here I was, here I was, and it's not about me, trying to open up debate around the importance of sport and how sport can be both a vehicle for, for change but also a hindrance when we take a look at what happens and, and what is required of Indigenous athletes to actually remain competitive to, to find a place, to, to eke out a place within a culture that has largely excluded them. It makes it really difficult. And anyway, here was this young man talking about his mother and um, and then again in Papua New Guinea, here is this older, wiser man, a champion, being subjected to really, really horrid stuff. Yes, I was really taken, Stella, when I read your article with the way in which you unpacked those various justifications that had been offered up as explanations of why people were booing Adam Goods. And I thought it was a really impressive um, analysis of each of those. So there was a particular line, Stella, that I read in your article that really caught my eye. Um, and it was, and I'll quote here, you wrote that the onus is on athletes to prove their mistreatment against a culture of denial. I wonder whether you think it's ever possible for Indigenous athletes to speak of the discrimination that they experience and how the fact that the onus is placed upon them to prove how they've been treated plays out. I think it's incredibly difficult, and I say so from my own experience um, in writing about matters of race and racism, but specific to when I look at the experience of Adam Goods and what he has done, enormously impressed by... Firstly, his understanding of taking a position and knowing that he's probably going to cop a bit of um, flack for it. That's the first thing, because often we want to step into a protective mode, distance ourselves from what is said perhaps about someone else to whom we might know or be related to. It might pierce our, 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 our psyche because we've been there. But at the same time, we don't want to go there because it's too hard. It is too hard to deal with. I imagine in the case of Adam Goods and other athletes, including Nikki Winmar, who made a stand in 1993, that it takes enormous courage to do that, knowing that it's not going to be well received. And for that reason, it is incredibly hard. And I wonder if it is almost impossible to be able to uh, enunciate what it is, what it means to be racialized by virtue of um, his positioning, that in itself is particular of the grandness of these young men who do so. It is difficult for other reasons as well because part of um, the experience of being racialised, it is incredibly... Patricia Williams wrote about it many, many years ago and she referred to it as spirit murder. That is a way of capturing what it means to be racialised. Uh, too often the denial say 
forget about it, just part of the game, don't worry about it, you'll get over it, no harm done. But that's easy for, for those to say who are not the recipient of it. It's that experience of what it does to the soul, to the psyche, that makes it then so difficult to be able to articulate so that um, the aggrieved party has this burden to be able to, to demonstrate this in many respects or in some respects. And it's another form of re, uh, re-racialization because one must go back to it and be able to find, find the language, the discourse, the means for making it understood, particularly uh, for an audience that may not necessarily be receptive to that. I greatly admire the young men who have taken a stand and continue to, and that's the regret. Some things have changed, and yet, really, in reality, it hasn't. And even with all the enlightenment and and education and understanding and and voices, public voices and and campaigns to to address this, it just regroups, if I can put it that way, and comes out in another unwelcome way. It's far too easy to um, isolate booing uh, directed at an individual, but that individual is a proud Aboriginal man who stood up, who has stood up for his people and for, and for, for those, his brothers in, in the AFL and in sport generally. I think it's tenuous to say it's just the individual that we don't like because Adam sees himself as a proud Aboriginal man. To abuse him is to abuse who he is and therefore his people, which makes it a collective thing. It's, it's not just the individual. Uh, racism has been trivialised. Uh, we tend to see it in isolation. We don't. We ignore the history of the racialisation of Indigenous athletes and Indigenous people. We give it another name. We don't necessarily use the word racism anymore. That's, there's this whole context, I think, of the simplification of race and racism and how this then led into um, an easy justification for denying the booing of goods as racist. Stella, I I think it's wonderful that both in your work and Chris's work you're reminding us to hold on to that history and that past and to shed a light on something that is part of our very recent history but um, a significant, as you say, that has connects back to events that have been unfolding through Australian sport for many generations. So yeah. congratulations on your work and congratulations on this latest um, research. I think it's extremely important and valuable and we will share it through all of our social media networks over the next few days in the hope that it gets um, the widest possible audience. Well, thank you. That's that's very encouraging and, and, and I'm delighted to be speaking to you, Kate. So that was a really um, interesting discussion with Stella and... Um, as I said, in my mind, hearing her discussion about Adam Goods and thinking about what had happened this week with Heretier Lumumba and Colin Kaepernick got me thinking a lot about what it means to speak out uh, as an Indigenous man or a person of colour. And earlier this week, I saw somebody tweet out actually about Colin Kaepernick, uh, who's going through a similar experience in the US at the moment. And that person had encouraged people to go off and read the work of somebody called Sarah Sarah Ahmed. Um, And I was so thrilled to see somebody suggest that because Sarah Ahmed is um, a very important academic who lives in the UK who has written a lot about the philosophy of race and gender um, and also uh, experiences as a queer woman in the last couple of decades. She wrote what's now quite a famous book called uh, Living a Feminist Life, which I encourage people to have a look at. 
But she wrote a really famous essay, which to me just uh, really resonates with all of the experiences of these people that we've been speaking about. And this essay is called um, Feminist Killjoys and Other Willful Subjects. And I'll tweet it out um, during the week. But I just wanted to read a little passage of it because I think it's so on point um, to what we've been speaking about today. So she says, she's talking about feminists mainly here, but it really resonates across the board. She says, to be willing to go against a social order, which is protected as a moral order, a happiness order, is to be willing to cause unhappiness, even if unhappiness is not your cause. To be willing to cause unhappiness might be about how we live an individual life. And so she goes on and talks about these people as killjoys. And she says, so yes, let's take the figure of the feminist killjoy seriously. Does the feminist kill other people's joy by pointing out moments of sexism? Or does she expose the bad feelings that get hidden, displaced or negated under public signs of joy? And she says, to kill a fantasy can still kill a feeling. It is not just that feminists might not be happily affected by what is supposed to cause happiness, but our failure to be happy is read as sabotaging the happiness of others. And I think that's very much how uh, Lumumba's Mm. public comments have been understood and conceptualised. And and I think we should celebrate figures like Lumumba, Goods and Kaepernick as killjoys in the way that Sarah Ahmed encourages us to do. I'm going to endeavour to kill more joy today <laughs> if I can. Please Katie, do. Thanks for that. That leads in beautifully then to a segment that I started last week, which I don't know if any of you did go and see the scarred trees around the MCG. Did you go and seek well, it out, Lucy? I didn't because it was at Eddie Had. Oh, that's Felicity right. found a photo for us. I did. I yep. circulated a photo the way that I do best. I thought what would be interesting today is to um, bring to your attention that in 1853, the Coolan actually camped around the site that is now the MCG. And um, at that time it was police barracks and it was on goes paddocks and 10 acres of that would be set aside for the Melbourne Cricket Club and the records show that both men and women would play Mangrook on a site just near there and the um, records show that they would just play for hours they would play for hours and hours and hours there was no time called there was no um, you know there was no designated period that they would stop and play for or stop and rest or anything that they'd just play and play and that the women played as well as the men but that um, in the records that I was reading that the men would kick the possum skin but the women would um, throw it in the air but people were still taking massive marks and they were still getting lots of air and in Melbourne the bundle and the wah which are two different um, two different kind of teams they'll play against each other so the bundle is the eagle and the wah is the crow so I thought that was really interesting going into this weekend just to recognize that women were playing Marn Grook and this weekend, of course, we get to watch women playing in the AFLW State of Origin game, which we're pretty excited about. Earlier today, we caught up with a superstar who will be playing for the Allies and someone who has a really interesting story about how footy players are giving back. We hear of footballers helping with lots of organisations, but Ladder is one that the players are instrumental in. We welcome Ladder, CEO Elizabeth Tucky, who's a huge football fan and an ambassador for Ladder, an AFLW superstar, a premiership player and the rising star winner 
Ebony Marinoff. <laughs> Noffy, how are you? Good, thank you. How are you? Good. We're so pleased to have you guys in here. That's Elizabeth, tell us a little bit about Ladder. We hear about um, the players are quite vocal about Ladder on all of the social media um, sites and channels. But what is Ladder? So Ladder is the official charity of the AFL Players Association and a charity partner of the AFL. So it's been around since 2006. And it's focusing on youth homelessness, so prevention of young people being homeless and also working with young people who have experienced homelessness. The really cool thing about this is it's the only organisation of its type in the world where you've got a professional sporting organisation and a, a, a player representative body that's actually supporting a charity to this level. Every time a male AFL player plays a senior game of footy, he donates $25 to ladder. So it's about $217,000 a year that we get from uh, from the players and the AFL matches that. And then the women uh, are involved in a whole range of other ways as well. So players themselves, male and female, do mentoring. They uh, get involved in our program delivery across Australia. We employ some of the, the AFLW players, which I'm really wrapped about. Um, we've got a lot of ex-AFL players, male players working for us as well. And it's really focusing on young people and getting them back on their feet and getting them into employment and changing their lives. And these guys are amazing what they do for us. So it's really good. That's extraordinary. I'm imagining that you would have no trouble um, getting people like Ebony to step up and be ambassadors for such a cause. Well, I have to say that, uh, that all the players are involved with this, the male and female players, but particularly the women, are just incredible in the commitment that they have to... To this and really wanting to make a difference. And I think it's because it's theirs. That's, that's the really the key thing. It's, it belongs to the players and the players get to see the, the changes they're making with young people. So having people like Ebony on board is just awesome. And I get to fangirl. So, you know, <laughs> being an AFL nut, I get to fangirl over these players, which is awesome. So We're going to come back to talk about what kind of AFL fan you are because you're a massive <laughs> fan. But, Eb, what does it mean to you? Like, why did you want to get involved? What, how did it speak to you? Um, I guess to be able to give back and I guess anyone deserves a chance to have a future and, you know, if I can help, in doing that, I'm up for that and obviously coming over from Adelaide and having a bit of spare time and definitely up to helping and like I said, everyone deserves a chance so this is a really good opportunity for people to give back to, you know, we're very fortunate and especially us AFLW girls, um, you know, been giving the chance to live out our childhood dream. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that struggle every night and, you know, to be able to have a foundation that supports that and, you know, to not only have the women behind it but I know a lot of um, men, Rory Sloan's an ambassador for it so yeah, um, well supported from the Adelaide Football Club and AFL, I guess, as a whole. We were looking earlier, at you'd left your licence upside down here and we realised <laughs> that despite your winning of the Rising Star and your extraordinary career already in AFLW, you are only 19 years old. It, it's extraordinary to me, the I guess, the social justice heart of people who are teenagers these days. Um, it, it, there's, there's something different, isn't there? There is something... Yeah, I guess, um, you know, being around football for a long time, I was always kind of the youngest. So I've been, I'm really good friends with like Courtney Cramey. She's been a big mentor for me and we've been close for the past, you know, four years. So I guess they've really helped me develop and probably mature more than I was as a kid. And um, I guess being fortunate enough in the position that I'm in, I'm so grateful. So I guess I just like to give back and probably look at life a bit more realistically now that I've, you know, probably had older mentors um, that we have the same you know, we all love football and stuff. So I guess we kind of connect and um, probably matured um, over the past couple of years and um, look forward to, you know, helping out when I can. And you've said that the AFL players obviously 
um, put in money for every game, but the general public can help too, can't they, with oh, premiership pins? Yes. So September's the biggest time of the year for, for ladder, obviously, around finals. And we sell premiership pins, which some people would have already, over the past few years, seen. They're sold at grounds, they're sold at functions, they're online through the ladder website. Um, and they're $5 and all the, the proceeds go to, to Ladder, which is um, something that we're really pleased that we're able to do, we're, uh, hand on heart, be able to say that all the net proceeds from that, once we've paid for the cost of the pin, which is not very much, that actually go straight to helping young people directly in local communities because Ladder's all over the country. So whether it's in Geelong or Bendigo or Perth or in, or in Sydney or um, here, in, here in Melbourne, we're able to actually give back to the local communities through the work we do. So... So keep an eye out for those premiership pins. I've always wondered what those little pins meant. I have yes, to say, the little yeah, tiny prim- premiership yeah. cups they are. They're so yeah, adorable. They are adorable. But the the, the um, change that we've made this year really is, and, and that's been through the support of the AFL and the PA, is really make it more obvious it's for ladder. So we did a bit of research after last year's campaign and people said, you know, they'll buy pins for a whole bunch of reasons. But mainly um, a lot of people said they didn't know it was actually for ladder. So we've really changed that. And having the players front and centre of the campaign is, is a really key part. And we've got some incredible stuff that's happening over the, the next month that's um, it's going to be uh, in, in front of everybody. And they'll see quite clearly that the players are really driving this campaign about reducing youth homelessness to what is the only acceptable level, which is zero. Zero. Beautiful. One thing that... Um we have seen is I saw the Darabin Falcons girls had a um, an event. It was like a karaoke night or a <laughs> disco or some kind I of thing. I left before that happened. Right, <laughs> and they were raising money. Ebony Marinoff, you are now a Falcon. You've come across from um, Adelaide to Victoria to play your VFL, um, to play throughout the season here. How's that move been for you? Yeah, I guess it's just been really exciting. Um, after AFLW, obviously winning the premiership with the Crows, I thought, you know, I really wanted to challenge myself and, um, you know, come over to Victoria and play for Darabin. Um, like I said before, probably a lot of people question why I went to Darabin being such a successful side and having, you know, a lot of midfield depth or, or whatnot. But I just wanted to come over to a club where I was going to train with the best and learn from the best, grow and develop. So it's been, you know, the best move I've probably decided to do. Um, it probably a big call, you know, having the success we did back home in Adelaide. But, um, yeah, wouldn't regret it. And so looking forward to heading into finals with the Falks and hopefully win another premiership. I see. I saw her play the other day and I saw you not rough up, knock over a player because that's what, you know, you're pretty strong. <laughs> you ran off. All the Darren players came in because it was a bit of a scuffle. She's run down the other end of the field. I was like, yeah, she's smart. She knows what she's doing. <laughs> she set a fire and ran away. Exactly right. So this weekend, um, will we be able to buy badges at the State of Origin? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So there'll be lots of uh, ladder staff and volunteers. So right. we've got volunteers and there's a call out for anyone who wants to volunteer. We've got lots of volunteers who've, who are going to be supporting ladder. So they'll be all around on the concourse as well. One thing that I'm looking forward to seeing, apart from people buying the badges at the State of Origin game, is how many players are playing against people that Mm. they played with last weekend or that they (laughs) play with normally. Like you'll be playing against people that are in the Crows team. You'll be playing against people that are in your Darabin side. Um, What's that vibe like when you you 
line up on someone that you're actually quite close with. Yeah. Bit and of trash talking? Oh, no, probably not. Um, I don't really like to trash talk. I mean, probably don't have really the smartest things to say because I kind of just keep quiet. She runs away. That's what she does. <laughs> but, um, yeah, you know, you're probably right with I've got my Adelaide teammates um, that I'm playing with. I've got Perko, who I'm playing against. I've got my Falcon teammates that I'm playing with and against. So I've probably playing against a whole, you know, different range of people, people that I've played against at youth girls level and, and whatnot. But um, it's probably a different vibe going into it, especially because the VFL are still in finals. I know actually back home in Adelaide, they've got the grand final on on Sunday. So Chelsea Randall is in that grand final, which she won't be able to play in. And Jess Allen, a superstar that's in the under 18 youth girls game, is also from Salisbury who made the grand final. So they're missing their two best players on Sunday, wow. which is really unfortunate, um, you know, that the Sawful didn't change up the fixture because I know that they're the only league that is having this, um, I guess, interrupt the grand final and you obviously want the best product, you know, on the day. So that's really unfortunate. But, um, yeah, just looking forward to it. And hopefully we just, you know, it's a, a really good game and it just shows uh, the best talent in Australia and um, I'm sure the skill level will be up and, and the pace of the game will be, yeah, next level. I remember playing um, in my first expedition game last year, one year ago, um, and I... Started on the bench and, you know, then got to go on maybe five minutes into the quarter and I remember just looking up and being like, am I in pre-season sprints? Like, this game is that fast. So hopefully having AFLW <laughs> the season behind us and not only myself but the other girls, um, you know, we're, we're up to scratch and we've been playing a lot of footy. So, yeah, hopefully it's just a really good brand of AFLW and, mm-hmm. you know, hats off to, you know, the AFL and Channel 7 and all that, putting it on the weekend of, of the AFL bye and Saturday night prime time 7.40. So, yeah, it's looking forward to it. We don't train, but we turn up every week and do this podcast. <laughs> and our season started in February. We're exhausted. How are you guys still, like, you're at this point in the season where you've played AFLW, then you've played the, you know, your local, you know, whether it's VFL or SAFL um, leagues. You're now heading into finals for that and you're expected to put on a state of origin exhibition showcasing the best and your best talent are you not just stuffed yeah um yeah it's funny you say that because when you look at it like that and you've gone through you know aflw and we played that extra game and um i guess you know only having maybe a couple of weeks off because you had to lead into your state league so you wanted to keep fit so you never really you know let go and had a rest um and then you know, like you said playing all these tough games especially the vfl standard i'd only played in this season but you know from what the girls tell me the the standards gone up immensely so it's another thing and then you know to come into finals and then have the state of origin i'm sure there's probably a lot of sore bodies but i guess at least we're all on the same page and you know some are not an advantage um and whatnot so we're probably all on the same page but i guess when you go out and play footy you probably put all that behind you when you're on the field and you just go give it a crack and you know we don't complain about it because you know playing footy is what we love so we just do it in a year that's been full of highlights for women's footy and especially uh for you eb like you've just You've reached all the highest of highs. Where does the state of origin kind of sit? Like, do you do you really feel passionately about playing for your state? Can you believe this is the opportunity that you've got? Um, I think probably a bit more for the Victorians that they get to put on the big V is probably more passionate for them because it's 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 their state. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, with the allies, we, we come from all across Australia. So you come together and you're putting on the Allies jumper and obviously means a lot and, you know, we're very grateful and humbled to be able to, you know, play in a team with, 
the best from Australia. But just I would love to put on, you know, my state jumper and haven't done that for, you know, when you go through youth girls and you come and put on the, the Crows jumper, it's obviously a very proud moment. But putting on your state jumper, there's nothing nothing better than that. But um, for us allies, it's probably a different situation. But, yeah, obviously proud and, and honoured to, you know, be able to play in the state of origin. But um, if you ask the, the Victorians, they probably, you know, have a bit more a bit more close to home putting on that big V because they don't get to do it that often. So if you're heading to the State of Origin this week, if you were planning on going early, maybe get in touch with Ladder and volunteer your time to help Absolutely. them sell some pins mm. beforehand. Mm. That sounds like a great thing to get involved in. Mm. Well, we can't wait to see the game this weekend. We can't wait to buy our pins on the way in. Excellent. Thanks so much for coming in to speak to us. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. I got a bit starstruck meeting Noffy. Ebony Marinoff, <laughs> Did, could you tell? It's like a little Everetti bunny. She Heaps sure of energy. is. Yep. Yeah, she really is. Yep. She made me feel young when I had to teach her how to download a podcast. <laughs> that never happens. And did she make you feel old when you saw her licence? Correct. She was born the year 1997, mm. oh, something ridiculous like yeah. that, Lucy. Well, you know, as we're going into finals, how important it is to make sure you do those one percenters for your teams. Yes. And one of those one percenters that we talk about and that is something I like to really do is to check off on your superstitions. One of the things you can do is donate to charity on your way to the game. Mm-hmm. It has been proven to work. <laughs> so Scientifically proven. As you're proven. going to games... Over the finals yes. season, make sure you buy one of those little pins because you know that the money's going to a really good charity. Plus, I think it's well known that if you and your friends get together and buy a hundred pins, you win the premiership. The actual <laughs> <laughs> do they mould them all oh, down? Say, yeah. One down, down. yeah. yeah. Um, so this week we found out that the AFLW licences that were going to be announced this week have been held over not for a day, not for two days, five weeks. Just five weeks. So just grab yourself a seat and uh, sit Strap down. yourselves in. Strap yourselves in. But and I know that some people have been critical about that. I actually think it's a really good sign. I think, I think the teams will have gone in and pitched and all the pitches were really different. I would imagine that they were all offering really different things. And I imagine that there's been a fair amount of executives leaving the AFL. There's not that many hands on deck at the moment. They've got a lot of other things that they're looking at. And I think they really want to get this right. And I think that it still means that it's up in the air whether it's going to be two teams, four teams, six teams, eight teams, when they're going to bring them all in, what the, you know, what the handout of licences will look like, what years it will be. So I think as long as they're taking that five weeks to do due diligence on what's going to be best for the competition and what's going to be best um, for all the ripples that it creates. Yeah, yeah I'm with you, Emma. I think um, I, I think there will be some disappointed people. There's obviously a lot of excitement at all of, at all of those clubs who've bid and they'd be very keen to find out. But it's much more important that the decision be done correctly uh, and that, you know, the AFL do their due diligence on all of those bids. So, um, yeah, I think, it's you know, it's neither funny here nor there. timing anyway, saying, and we'll make all this happen just as finals are starting. Like, there's a fair bit going on probably yeah. at the AFL. Yes. It sounds like, though, that they're still trying to really nut out the format. Um, so that's got to get put in place before you work out licences. Mm. And and I agree that it's really important that that stuff gets worked out. I think the worst thing would be to have just gone, oh, okay, we said we were going to make an announcement today, so we'll just, all right, let's just go with that. I do think there's been a lot of time to try and get that right. And, and so I feel like I understand the frustration of people there. That would never happen with the men's competition. It would be nice if one of the first things that they would do would be to actually employ and a footy ops for AFLW mm. at the AFL. I think that I think might help the sense. process. You know who's going to be okay with this? People who lay by. 
people who lay by have trained their whole True. life for something like this. I'm not one of those people, so I'm trying to get okay with it. Um, I'm really excited about this AFLW State of Origin this Saturday night. I've never cared about State of Origin before, but all of a sudden I'm in. And I think I might be going for the Allies. Is that okay to say? Yeah, uh, of course it is. I think you can. Well, look, I'm one of those. I was born in Victoria but grew up on the Gold Coast. And so I don't have the same investment in the state of origin that other people have. I'm actually just thrilled to see a kind of almost all-star lineup. Um, there's a few big outs, unfortunately. But um, I just think it's going to be a wonderful showcase for the game. And the best thing is, of course, that being the buy round, there are no other big games competing and so um you know those people who've been hankering hungering whatever the word is <laughs> for a bit of um hanging women's out. hanging out yeah hanging out for a bit mm. of women's footy uh we'll have it prime time this weekend so it's going to be fantastic can't wait and it's going to be so interesting to see people who are actually teammates mm. in yes. different competitions having to play against each other and then go back and play a final yeah so yeah, that's why they you, say... Are you going to pull your punches? Are you going to... And by punches, I mean maybe tackles. <laughs> but are you going to be careful when you tackle someone if you're on the same team in a VFLW Yeah, it'll be interesting team? to see. I guess we'll find out how much it means to people because in the rugby league state of origin, teammates do then... Um, you know, play against each other, and often they do have full-on brawls and punch teammates that they, who then can't play in their own team on the weekend, which says a lot about how much state of origin means in New South Wales and Queensland. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how hard the players go at this, and and how invested they are and committed to the whole format. Well, it's interesting because I actually think for a lot of players. This year has been, I mean, it's been it's been huge for women's footy, but for the girls who will be taking the park on Saturday night, I think you're going to see a really changed um, group of people. They have all been training so hard and the level at, um, at least at the VFL where I've been watching has really just gone through the roof. They've really taken on an elite lifestyle, most of them, and I think the Victorian midfield is going to be almost unstoppable but then you've got Emma King who is the tallest out there who'll be taking the ruck for the allies but of course Katie Brennan has kicked I think she kicked 16 in the last three weeks Mm -hmm. and we only saw her play twice um, for the Bulldogs in the opening season so I think she's going to she's a big game player and I think Mm -hmm. it's going to be massive I think she's going to be matched up on Melissa Hickey which is going to be hilarious because they're obviously teammates and good friends so to see um, all those kinds of um, Dynamics, Challenges and yeah. dynamics on display. I actually think you're going to see a really supreme game on Saturday night. They're all fired up and ready to go. I think it's really exciting. Wait. Mm. Now, we should mention we were going to do a little event um, before the game, which we've had to um, just postpone until forever. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to say just sack. Just another time. But just to reiterate that we call ourselves the outer sanctum, we're going to stay on the outer. We're not going to do is – that, is that okay to say? So um, we're sorry if we've disappointed you, but we will all be there. Um, I'm actually writing the boundary. This is so it's good. It's ridiculous. This is so exciting. I can't wait to see you in one of those – puffer jackets like or you know like a coat like richo on the board a with jacket. a clipboard i get a flak jacket is that okay whatever something like that and, and a had a, had a um, proper trench coat with the collar up last weekend looking yeah. like inspector gadget so yes. maybe something like that it could be something the abc live to regret <laughs> but um i don't know how i go without you guys like you know Aww. one jumper six head holes yeah. what maybe just keep your phone on yeah <laughs> <laughs> we'll just send you some stuff 
Any final business? I would like to say congratulations to the Kniba Football Club, who are the A-grade premiers for 2017. Yay! So congratulations. Um, the oldest surviving Aboriginal football club in the country. They have now lights and irrigation and onwards and upwards. Well done, guys. Amazing. Um, I also would just like to say congratulations to Paul Ruse, actually, whose, um, uh, whose book has been launched in the last few days. It's called Here It Is, which is a phrase that will forever mean quite a lot to um, Sydney and South Melbourne supporters. And I had a fascinating discussion with him on uh, ABC Radio about the book. One of the things he said was that when he finished playing, he, uh, you know, back in the 1990s, almost straight away, he sat down and wrote a list for himself of all of the things that he uh, benefited for. Uh, from as a player, what he liked in coaches, what he didn't like, in case he went on to become uh, a coach one day himself. And so the forward planning <laughs> that was uh, involved in that, like I can't even write a shopping list, uh, mm. but he was preparing many years in advance in case he became a coach. It was really fascinating to hear what he had to say. And so um, congrats to him. He's a, such a um, wow. monument of the game. I bet he's got a five-year plan, doesn't he? Yeah, <laughs> those kind of people—they really get me. He knows where all his superannuation is. I think <laughs> it's I don't it's all in the... one fund. If yeah. you had to have written yourself a note to, forward, note to yourself, what would it have been? I think it probably would have been um, reminding myself to come back to Lucy's point earlier of some of the one percenters I did in two thousand and eight to mm. help Hawthorne win the flag. It was an underappreciated achievement on my part, but I did perform some one percenters, and I know for sure I got them wrong in twenty twelve. That's why we lost. Mm. Everyone says Melchesky kicked those goals, but. <laughs> Melchesky, Melchesky. It was no, it was me. It was me, and I made some mistakes. So wow. it would have been that. What about you, Felicity? Oh, I wouldn't even know where to start with the advice I would uh, write down. For <laughs> the the piece of paper is not long enough. No, no. Let's just move on from me. <laughs> Lucy, you got one? Um, yeah, I would write down on a piece of paper. Don't ever get tipsy at a Kinder AGM prior to committee voting. <laughs> Presidente. <laughs> El Presidente. <laughs> what about you, Um, Wear more sunscreen. Or, I was going to say, or never agree to be a boundary rider. Maybe that we'll, we'll see next week. <laughs> <laughs> and with that vote of confidence, thank you very much for listening and thanks for playing along, Katie. We'll see you next week. Go footy. Thanks, Bye. guys. When we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/style for free shipping and 365-day returns.